Well, this is part two of a series that I started last week. Actually, it's part five of a series on five psalms that uh, I've been preaching over the last five weeks. But uh, the title today is part two of fightings and fears within and without. Last week, we looked at Psalm 51, which was more of a depiction of fightings and fears within as we looked at David's wrestlings uh, with his own sin. And this week, we look more at the, the fightings and fears without as we look at the 52nd Psalm. The title comes from a line uh, that's actually based on something that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, but it was co-opted for a line in the hymn, Just As I Am, where it, it speaks of kind of our struggle with God and in the fightings and the fears within and without that we deal with in our relationship with God. But it's especially about the fightings and the fears of David himself in, in these two Psalms, Psalm 51 and Psalm 52. Unlike most of the Psalms, these two Psalms have a historic designation that are a part of the text that talk about the situation out of which David composed the psalm or the, the historical event that gave birth to the words of the psalm. Uh, last week, as we looked at Psalm 51, we looked at a song, a prayer of confession that grows out of his notorious affair with Bathsheba and the, the murder of her husband Uriah and David confessing his sin after being confronted by Nathan the prophet. But today, as we look at Psalm 52, we look at another story in David's life where he is the one being pursued, the powerless one being pursued and hunted down rather than the one who is powerful and, and able to affect anything that he wants. Psalm 52 and Psalm 51 are examples of the stories that occur in 1 Samuel especially. In 2 Samuel as well, there are stories of David in 2 Samuel as well. But Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Leap Over a Wall, Earthy Spirituality for Everyday Christians, which is really based on these stories of David. And he says something that I think we need to take note of, and that's true for a lot of the stories in the Bible, but especially the stories concerning David. He says, in the company of David, we don't feel inadequate because we know we could never do it that well. Just the opposite. In the company of David, we find someone who does it as badly as or worse than we do, but who in the process doesn't quit, doesn't withdraw from God. David's isn't an ideal life, but an actual life. We imaginatively enter the company of David not to improve our morals, but to deepen our sense of human reality. This is what happens in the grand enterprise of being human. Certainly the story of Psalm 51, behind Psalm 51 and the story behind Psalm 52, kind of are depictions of what Peterson has said. Psalm 52 is set in the context of what you might call the massacre at Nob, 2 Samuel 21 and 22. David is on the run. Saul, the narcissistic king, is after him because David is becoming more popular than he is. And what happens is, is that David has to flee into the wilderness. And in the process of that flight, he goes to the religious sanctuary in Nob and makes a request of the priest Ahimelech. And what happens is an example of injustice and mayhem that's fostered by the fear of Saul, his narcissism, 
his fragile hold on power. David on the run runs to Ahimelech and as he flees into this religious sanctuary at Nob, he discusses with Ahimelech the things that he needs. He lies to Ahimelech, a sense, and doesn't let Ahimelech know that he's on the run from Saul. And he says, I need bread and, and I need a sword. And the only bread that's available is called the bread of the presence, which is these loaves of bread that the priests baked every week and they sat on the altar for a week and then they were consumed only by the priests at the end of that week. No one else would want them because it was weak old bread and so the priests got it. And But they put more bread on the table at that point and so David asks if he can have the bread of the presence and Ahimelech sort of reluctantly allows that and says, do you have a sword around here because we are without weapons? And they happen to also have a sword, kind of a museum relic, which is the sword with which David killed Goliath. That's also in this religious sanctuary. You've got to remember, this is before the temple was built. And so there were these sanctuaries where religious sacrifices took place and those kinds of things. And what happens is, is that Ahimelech gives him the sword and gives him the bread. And there's an official from Saul's court who is in the sanctuary at that time. His name is Doeg. Doeg sees this transaction. He knows that David is a wanted man. He goes back to Saul and he says, David has come to the house of Ahimelech and been given provision. And Saul is furious. He uh, essentially calls uh, or goes after Ahimelech and all of the priests at Nob. He, he murders, has them all murdered. His own soldiers won't do it. And so he gets Doeg to round up a group of people to do it. Doeg kills all the priests of Nob, kills all the people in the town of Nob, kills all of the livestock in Nob. It creates this heinous massacre. And that's the context for David's prayer. David is kind of reeling from this mess that he has contributed to and yet is also just overwhelmed by the injustice of it. And so Psalm 52 says this. Why do you boast, O mighty one? Why do you boast of mischief done against the godly? All day long you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor, you worker of treachery. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking the truth. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at the evildoer saying, see the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done. In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name, for it is good. Let's pray. Father, give us the freedom in this hour to, to note the things that shouldn't be, to ask you why they are, and to rest in your assurance that you have the last word. Help us to hear your call to faithfulness, and your call to patience. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
So last week I began with a, a theological exposition of sorts about five-point Calvinism and total depravity and talking about that in terms of how it might relate to Psalm 52. This week, another theological problem or question or concept came to mind as I was thinking about Psalm 52, and that's the, what they call the problem of evil or the theodicy problem. And it's an unresolvable problem. You can work with it logically as much as you want to, but it's pretty much unresolvable. And it's, it's good to have unresolvable things, you know, that can't be fully explained but must, must be worked through constantly. But theodicy is simply this statement. God is all loving. God is all powerful. But there is evil in the world. All three of those things are true. But if all three of those things are true, you've got to nip and tuck on the first two in order to make it all work. Because if God is all loving and God is all powerful and there is evil in the world, then either God created evil or God isn't powerful enough to solve it in the present. It's that simple, logically, is that we've got a problem. And the Psalms sing a lot about this problem. They sing about it in words like, how long? Or how could you? Or why are you ignoring us? Why is evil flourishing? Why is all of this going on if you truly are God. Three things that are all true, and yet if they're all true, you really can't hold them all together. That's what theodicy is. There's no solution. It's the theological question that gives rise to the complaints of, like I said, of why and and how long in the Psalms. And if If you are who you say you are, God, and why are you allowing this evil to flourish? And how is it that you can let it go on? It's the kind of thing that we pray in the wake of a mass shooting. When we look at the ugliness of those events and wonder why in the world it's being allowed by God. It's the kind of prayer fostered by situations like that massacre at Nob. Another kind of prayer, however, that grows out of this kind of darkness is the one that's prayed in Psalm 52. And it's a prayer of faithfulness. It's a prayer that essentially says, this is really bad. I don't really get this, but I'm going to choose to wait and to watch, and to see, God, how you are going to effect your justice in this situation. If you look at Psalm 52, you look at the first four verses, and it's really a question to the wicked that the psalmist is asking. It's a kind of complaint to people like Doeg, who were willing to undergird the narcissism of a weak, weak leader, and go in and do his bidding for him. Go in and kill 85 priests and their families and and their livestock. And so David starts by asking a question to Doeg, really. Starts by asking that question to those who effected this, this massacre. And essentially the question is, what makes you think you're going to get away with this? You plot, you lie, You love deceit, 
But ultimately, your victories in the long run will not be sustainable. Your victories will be short-lived. And then in verses 5 through 7, the psalm goes on to a sort of reminder of the ultimate justice of God that will prevail. And it uses the image of, of the foundations on which we're building. And essentially the psalm says, the foundations you have laid are like that story that, that Jesus tells about the house that's built on the sand rather than the rock. If you look at the verbs that speak to what will ultimately become of the house that the wicked have built, you see what happens, that they will be snatched from their home, torn from their tent, uprooted from the land of the living, that the house that they have built will not house them ultimately. It's not strong enough to do so. And it's ultimately like the weak foundation of the sand, which ultimately allows for the house to be washed away. What Psalm 52 says is the thing you have built can't last because your refuge, your home, was in nothing bigger than yourself. Your home is built on the fear of losing your fragile hold on power. And that's why it's based on lies and deceit and treachery. You know, that's a big theme in the scriptures is narcissistic kings. In fact, when the people of Israel ask for a king, God essentially comes back to them and says, I don't think that's what you really want. Because <laughs> the king's going to go after things that are going to compromise what you currently are free to navigate and negotiate. The king's going to come after your sons for his army. The king's going to come after your wealth to support his wealth. Do you really want that? And the king is going to feel a little fearful when the king's power starts to slip. And that's when your lives really get messy. Are you sure you want to be like all the other nations and have a king? Saul is one of those narcissistic kings and Nob is the result of his narcissism. There's another one just like him in the New Testament, Herod. And Bethlehem and the massacre of the innocents following the birth of Jesus is the result of his narcissism. The head of John the Baptist on a platter is the result of his son's narcissism, the second Herod. When you find your refuge in things of your creation, just like you, those things are not eternal. And because they're not eternal, they're not sustainable. And then the psalm ends in verses 8 and 9. And from a place of, of relative insecurity, David is still in the wilderness. He's still on the run. But from that place of relative insecurity, he sings of a rock that cannot be moved. And so in verses 8 and 9, he says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever. Because of what you have done. In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name, for it is good. In other words, I will, even in the wake of this slaughter, put my trust in the weighty truth of the steadfast love of God. The word forever is repeated 
a couple of times in this text, rather than the kind of insecure temporary power of Saul and of Doeg. And what David says is, I will join with the faithful in the celebration of the source of all faithfulness, your steadfast love, O God. We could stop here at this point. It's a, it's a great stopping point, a celebration of faithfulness. We could cue the last hymn and stand up and go out feeling good about singing of faithfulness. But what's interesting to contemplate is that we'd have to sing that song fully aware that the streets of Nob and the courts of the sanctuary at Nob are still stained with blood at the point that David is singing this. It's a pretty fresh kill. And all is not okay. And it's impossible to simply feel safe and assured and confident and sing that last hymn. It's impossible to feel safe and assured and confident with Saul in power and the doegs of this world doing Saul's bidding for him. It's pretty hard to sing when it doesn't appear that justice is going to be done. But the psalm doesn't just end with a call to praise the Lord anyway. It doesn't just end with a sort of victorious statement of faithfulness. It doesn't just end with a call to put on a happy face, but like Psalm 1 that we dealt with four weeks ago, it gives us an image of what it looks like to live in this crazy and confusing place and yet remain faithful. And we go back to the tree. Another tree. This time a different kind of tree planted in a different place. But like the tree of Psalm 1, the willow by the waters of Babylon, it's something that flourishes in an unlikely place. The willows transplanted to those canals of Babylon flourished, and they were and they became an image of what it meant to live in exile and still be okay and still know the treasure of the presence of God. But here in Psalm 52, long before the exile ever took place, long before Babylon was ever an entity in history, here what David uses is the image of the green olive tree in the courts of the house of God. This resilient, long-living tree, but planted perhaps in the courts of Nob, the sanctuary, planted in a place reeking of the toxicity of spilled blood. A green olive tree growing in the blood-stained courtyard of the sanctuary at Nob, giving testimony to a truth very different to its blood-stained courtyard. Psalm 52 makes an admonition to us. At the very end of the psalm, the admonition to us is to direct our attention to that tree and to hear David say, you are that tree because you are in the hands of God. And the roots that go down into the soil of the love of God, 
can sustain us in the most unlikely of places. For as Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Bring before us the image of that green olive tree planted in your cards, O God planted in the place that we identify with your presence. Help us to be that tree and to put our roots deeply into the soil of your love and so find the strength to persevere even when evidence suggests there might not be any reason to go on. So root us and ground us in that love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.